This is Lent on Table Radio. Today's sermon was originally preached on Sunday, March 20th by Andy Withrow. Today's reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. And in the previous episode, Peter has just confessed Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen servant to bring about rescue and deliverance to his people. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is the word of the Lord. If you wanted to change the world, what would you do? How would you go about it? Say if you wanted to end world hunger or solve climate change, maybe reconcile people and nations at war or end poverty, or end violence, what would you do? Would you run for office? Would you amass endless wealth to fund world-changing projects? Would you join a movement? What's the best way? Most of us wouldn't say, I'm guessing, joining your local church. Why not? Don't answer that. I know why not. At least I think I do. One reason might be that because a lot of us don't think that radically about the mission and role of the church in the world. But another reason is likely because while you can make the argument, and I think could and should and need to make the argument, that the Irish Christians saved civilization, that the church has preserved the world and shaped it with important values the broader world still holds, like tolerance and hospitality and love and care. We can't escape the fact that the church has also participated in darkness and evil. So it's kind of a mess. And it's hard to know what to do with that. Some solve it by simply not coming. But for those who do, the question doesn't go away. When Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You'll have authority on the earth. Whatever you say, it goes. When he says this to Peter, how are we to reconcile it with the mixed bag we know the church to be historically, and even in our own lives. In other words, how does the church become a means of delivering our world from evil instead of a means of delivering evil to the world? What's the trick? What are the clues in this story? And why, if the church is meant to be so good, 
how can it go so bad and what do we do about that? I think there are clues in this little episode and I want to talk about what I see to be two common attempts to be a force for good in the world by the church or attempts to deliver the world from evil. I think one way we see the church doing this, and maybe specifically in North America, sometimes goes about trying to be a transforming agent in the world for good is by leading people to live their best life now. You've heard, probably heard this language. Gratification, fulfillment, wildest dreams coming true, sort of this therapeutic model. But it's more than that. It's equating success with God's will. And this, isn't this what Peter does in our episode? Far be it from you, Lord, that will never happen to you. Peter knows what many of us often assume, that if we're stamped by God's approval, things should not be difficult. Life should not lead through suffering. It's logical. It makes sense. It's practical. It's helpful. We want each other to succeed. That's a good desire. We want to help others and keep them from suffering. Seems loving. Peter's words here could be construed as loving to Jesus. Stop that negative thinking, Lord. You're too important. You're too special. You're too loved by God for this to be your fate, your destiny. Peter is trying to convert Jesus to a good theology, a people-first theology. And confusingly, Jesus rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Harsh words. Because so often our theology of success, it leads to others' suffering. It's just not the way life really works. So some of us begin to wonder, why isn't God giving me my best life now when he's giving it to that person over there? Or what about when my best life now means someone else has to go without, as we so often see in our economic systems? The gospel must point to something deeper than this. Now, another way the church likes to go about trying to be a transforming agent in the world for good is to lead from perfection to perfection. In an attempt to make heaven come down to earth, we look for a perfect community. And that perfect community will be perfect, infallible, immune to evil. Nobody says anything or does anything wrong. What the pastor says is gospel truth cannot be questioned. And some of us grew up in these kind of churches. But it's easy to fall into We don't like the ambiguity of life. So when someone comes along and makes a lot of sense and gets a lot of things right, we want them to always be right and make our decisions for us. Fall into it as a leader. Really easy. Preach a really good sermon. Lead an amazing Bible study. You might start to feel like the anointed mouthpiece of God. And those lines begin to blur between what God is saying and what I am saying. And then people begin to get taken advantage of and hurt. I think this happens a lot. We can fall into it as followers, too. Again, it's nice to have someone else have all the answers and turn off a lot of our own thinking. Making hard decisions in life can be exhausting. 
Wouldn't it be nice if someone else was doing that for me? And really, all we need is more people to get on board until everyone's in. We've changed the world. But if we go back to Jesus' words here to Peter, we realize that infallibility, perfection, that was never promised to the church. And the story here makes it explicitly clear that this is not what's happening. Peter, one moment speaking what God gives him, that's the last episode, God revealed this to you, and the next moment seems to be speaking for the devil. What a story to put in the gospel if you're trying to prop up the authority of the church. You'd think Matthew would be tempted to leave this part out, but he didn't. This is the church, says Matthew. It's a mixed bag. This is the community that Jesus will use to bring the kingdom of God here, but it's not going to be perfect. And at times, it's not even going to be pretty. You'll say and do dumb things, sometimes 100% antithetical to who Jesus is and what he wants. And boy, haven't we seen that. Same church. And I think this is a key to understanding our role as the church in all of this. Because in this scene, we see that while the church will not ultimately be conquered by evil and will be the bridge between heaven and earth, it's not perfect. It's not even infallible. It's susceptible to evil and must be always on its guard against error. Jesus tells Peter and the church, you must follow me through suffering and death. And in so doing, you will reach unending life. It's not enough to see that Jesus is Lord. We must also understand that our Lord had to suffer, be killed, and be raised as part of God's plan. So we see in this roller coaster ride with Peter, God reveals what is not obvious nor intuitive. One, you are Messiah, son of the living God. Two, you must suffer, be killed, and be raised. (laughs) Otherwise, we, disciples or not, church or not, we find ourselves in opposition to Jesus, the King. Promise was not infallibility. You're not going to get everything right. Promise was not the inability to be wrong or be deceived. The promise was that through the storms of hell, the church could not be ultimately defeated. Like the image of this beaten down, weathered house that will still be standing at the end of it all, sheltering all who find their refuge in it. And if we're not careful about this, if we don't follow Jesus, but try to lead him like Peter does in this episode, then we're just co-opting Jesus' name for our personal cause. We're always susceptible to this Christian triumphalism, mixing the triumph of our modern, our modern age and American optimism with the tenets of Christian teaching selectively. Put them all together. Jesus is Lord can just be an empty vessel of words to fill with my preferred content. Warning. Using the grace and mercy of God to cancel any of Jesus' clear teachings. 
puts us in a dangerous space. Because the church, as we see here with Peter, can be God-led and it can be devil-led. It can be Christ's main instrument and Christ's main impediment. It reminds us the church's role is to point to Jesus and to follow Jesus. Both and. You trust in Jesus' wisdom and goodness, even in the face of darkness and evil. Even when the path following him seems counterintuitive, he, Jesus, is the only one in this life who is worthy of our complete trust and unfailing loyalty. No one else, nothing else, in church or in heaven. And in all of this, we see again the gospel. It comes through in every episode. God in Jesus provides a way through the world's evil to new life. God doesn't avoid suffering, and death doesn't get the final word. And the life of the whole world hinges on Jesus' path through evil and suffering. And we see here, Satan can and does infiltrate the ranks of Jesus' disciples and wants nothing more than to slow down and stop the coming of God's kingdom. Here's another element of the gospel. We get to follow Jesus and not bear the burden of leading him. That's good news. Jesus works to show his disciples the necessity of his suffering, death, and resurrection. Matthew says at this part in the story, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must suffer. There's a major shift in theme and focus in the whole story in Matthew's gospel right here, starting in this chapter. They're heading to Jerusalem. They're at the far north of their journey. He's going to start to head south now. Peter just confessed he got something. It was revealed to him. And now Jesus is going to show them something. Going to point it out, make it known. And explain it. Jesus does this a lot. He points back to the prophets. This had to happen. It had to be this way. It was all talked about. And all this is in the setting of Jesus' enemies always asking for a sign, but he shows the disciples plainly the true sign. The sign of Jonah. Darkness, death, burial, and then life, resurrection. Isaiah 52 is in the backdrop of this. I'm just going to read a few verses out here. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will be and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. I just want to end with a couple of takeaways, implications, observations. Everyone suffers. Storm rages on the house built on rock and the house built on sand, says Jesus. Regardless of your foundation, storms come. The difference is in what the storm does to us. We want to understand that the fate of the Christian is tied to the fate of Jesus. Suffering, death, but also resurrection. Everyone suffers. But also, we look forward to the new and unending life. And the promise of the gospel is that when we trust Jesus and follow him, we get to live into that resurrection life with joy and peace and confidence. So for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and the shame. And for the joy set before us, we take up our cross, the means, the very means by which the world is reconciled to God. We can encourage one another, encourage others to follow, get behind him, just like Jesus tells Peter. Don't get in front of him. Don't find yourself opposing the work of Jesus. Let's set our mind and be on guard as members of the church. If we're a part of a church, allow ourselves to be gripped by this divine story with Jesus at its center. God, we do not want to find ourselves getting ahead of you, opposing you, trying to lead you, trying to convert you. But Jesus, would you convert us to you, to following after you and trusting in your goodness. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the Table Church in Victoria, B.C. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. For more information on the Table community, go to tablechurch.ca. My soul.